Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're talking about the Kingdom of God. And so, we talked this morning about the uh, 1619 project that uh, is coming out of the New York Times, and it's actually probably heavily funded by people who do not have the best interest of America at heart. Uh, there are people who are seeking power and control, and one of the first things they want to do is undermine your heroes, undermine the historical goodness of your past. They want to keep you from knowing that. They want to demonize anybody who might have been someone exceptional in your past or in your history. And the problem is, is this has already been going on for a hundred years. And we went through some of that, and you can read uh, our Reese Commission report and our schools as tools at preparing you, and you can uh, listen to some of the audios that we have there. And we have some videos there of interviews with people who were investigated individuals on the Reese Commission. But right now we're going to talk a little bit more about how, by omitting certain truths from your knowledge of history, you can be manipulated into acting in a particular cultural fashion that is detrimental towards your liberty and your freedom and the nurturing nature of society. And instead, you will move in the direction of totalitarianism, despotism, destruction that we've seen a number of times in the last century under people like uh, Lenin and Stalin. Everybody always mentions Stalin. Lenin was no angel either. I mean, there were a lot of people put to death as they rose to power, even with Trotsky and the rest of them. Most people don't know this history. Most people don't know history. But uh, the reality, the reason you study history is to understand how things work in society. If you make certain cultural choices, certain societal choices, certain choices of what you would accept as societal norms, that it will direct society in a particular direction. It will actually cause you to think another way. It will degenerate you or regenerate you according to those different parameters of society that you accept as valid. You know, like the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not uh, steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. If your society knows that you should not be doing these things, then your society will not produce a rape culture, a violent culture that uh, that eats up and destroys uh, individuals and families and people and, and other members of society and their neighbors. You won't be making enemies out of everybody. Because you have these basic principles in your society. But there are ten commandments, not just three. So there's also, thou shalt not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. That's not about stealing. Obviously, anything you steal, you're coveting. You desire, you know. And some people say, well, you know, you want a new car like your neighbor. 
And they say, well, that's coveting your neighbor's goods. No, it is not. It is desiring to meet the same standards of affluence or maybe, you, you know, I was actually just today, I was driving a very old truck, 35-year-old truck, and we were having trouble. There was something sticking in the carburetor and it was running real rough as we were going up the hill. And so I stopped it, put it in park, went underneath it to try to figure out what was the matter and kind of figured it out. Uh, we'd also had the hood up. And lo and behold, when I was crawling out, I bumped the linkage to the parking brake and it came out of park and began to roll down the hill with me because it's an old truck, got a lot of problems. And I grabbed it to keep it from hooking on my clothing and it was just dragging me and I, I yelled to my grandson, stop it, and he jumped in the driver's seat and hit the brakes. And uh, I said, that's why we feed with two people. <laughs> so anyway, it really wasn't all that dangerous. It wouldn't have done any real harm. I could have if I wasn't in the right position, gotten seriously injured. But didn't no injury. We had a good laugh about it. And we fixed everything. And we went out and did the rest of the feeding. But that was because we have an old truck. And it's got a lot of problems. And But we make do with this old feed truck. And the reality is, is that in society, you can have lots of different ideas and philosophies and concepts and cultural norms that are good or are bad. And Christ came to teach you the good ones. He seemed to have a conflict with the Pharisees who believed that they were following Moses. Of course, they were not really following Moses. They were following an image of Moses that they had created by their translations of the Torah. They had translated the Torah. We see the Septuagint, which even Jesus quotes. And because of the way it was translated and interpreted, they had a particular view of the Old Testament that wasn't correct. They were wrong. And there are many Jews today that have that same interpretation. There are many Christians today that have that same interpretation that the Pharisees had that was wrong. Now, some of the Pharisees had some ideas about the Old Testament. They were pretty close on. Some of them didn't. There was a controversy going on. There were Sadducees. There were Pharisees. There were Zealots. There were the Essenes. There were a number of other factions. And even amongst those people that I just named, there were factions in each of those individual groups, just like you have political parties now. I mean, like the ideology of John F. K., uh, which was, who was a Democrat, is diametrically opposed to what Democrats are saying today. It is, he was absolutely, he was considered mainstream Democratic Party at the time, was elected, very popular president, got more popular because he got shot, because that's just the way it goes. I mean, Lincoln, there was very controversial guy. The, the greatest thing for promoting Lincoln was the fact that he got shot and then you couldn't say anything bad about him anymore. But the reality is Lincoln had a lot of good qualities. He had some other qualities that were not so good. But he was who the people elected at that particular time and he served a purpose in history. What I'm not so much interested in who's right or wrong. I'm interested in people beginning to understand what acceptable values that you get from your culture or put in your culture or include in your cultural values 
that will promote a healthy society, a free society, a productive society, and what values, if they're missing, or what values, if they just simply don't exist, or values that are contrary, that you would put in your society, that will decimate, degenerate, and and cause your society to become depraved and collapse. And we've talked before about some of the things, you know, there's usually, you know, historians who have gone through and, and examined society after society throughout history find that when a society has a sexual revolution where suddenly one man, one woman, and uh, the unity of marriage was uh, sacrosanct, you, you did not violate that, uh, that you didn't violate it before you got married, you didn't violate it after you got married, and that it was a sacred relationship when they had a sexual revolution that suddenly threw out those values, those cultural values, that you had two generations and the society would collapse. Socialism. When socialism comes into a society, birth rates drop. They they begin to drop rapidly. Then you couple socialism with a sexual revolution and the ability to abort 60 million babies every year and the ability to um, uh, contraception and other, you know, are you 486, I guess, is one of the things that they take to cause an early on abortion and the pill and all these things allows for the sexual revolution. It breaks down the family. Socialism almost always breaks down the family, which is why we talked about this this morning. We've talked about it in the past that in the early 1900s, the black community had 3% single-parent families. By uh, just a few years later, it was going up to 11 and 12%. But in once we had the war on poverty, it shot up to over 70% of the black community families are single-parent families. This breaks down the social structure. It brings about the dooming of a society. And it's happening, we see it happening in the black community. It's also transferring over to the white community. Uh, we see there up to 35% single parent families. And we also see it now in one of the strongest family units was the Asian family units. And we see them breaking down as well. It's like a disease passing from one generation to the next, from one community to the next, one race to the next. I don't like to break people up into races. It's an artificial way of doing it, but uh, it seems to be popular with a lot of people. But what values in the Bible does Christ emphasize, does Moses emphasize, do the prophets emphasize that extend the life of a community, of a society, of a nation? That actually makes a nation great, makes a nation stronger, makes a nation healthier. And what, when you, what of those values, when we begin to drop them off, begins to degenerate society? And what can you do today in your life to bring back those values so they become an uh, incorporated part of your very being and of the very society in which you live? Now, when I say society in which you live, we have links on different pages that, and a page on societies. What is a society? 
What is a community? What's the difference between a community and a society? Societies may have a common communion. In other words, a common source of welfare. That's what communion was. Communion was another word that they translate besides translating the Greek word into communion, they also translate it into fellowship. And so what is so fellowship and communion are evidently the same thing that we translate the same Greek word into two different words, but they actually mean the same thing. There's slightly different explanations of the same thing. And so I'm not saying it's wrong to put the word fellowship there or the wrong to put the word communion, but the fact is is that it was one Greek word that they translated into these two different English words, and they really mean the same thing, but maybe just different aspects of the same thing. So what is fellowship? What is communion? Communion was when you got a piece of bread from the church. Now, that is that is morphed over a period of time into a little tiny wafer. You used to actually get wine and bread, but now the priest drinks all the wine and you just get the bread. And actually, because of the fears of things like coronavirus and other viruses and diseases, they're not even giving you the bread <laughs> in some churches. But it wasn't a crumb of bread originally. And we show this in the early church documents that was actually sacks of bread and it was your welfare bread. It was the free bread of Christianity. And it was given out to those who were in need. And it was provided by those who had enough with, and who were willing to share with those who didn't have enough. But it was a part of binding society together because you were actually caring for one another. You didn't just go to the same church building, sing the same church songs, and like the same pastor. You actually were dependent upon that pastor for your needs. If you fell off a ladder, got hurt, lost your job, got sick, you died, your husband died, and suddenly your kids are, you're a widow and you're got a bunch of orphans. You went to church. Church helped you out. They made sure you didn't starve. You didn't die. That uh, somebody was there for you. They brought you food until you could get on your feet. They got you a job until, you, you know, and helped your kids get the education they needed. Because that was community. That sharing of the load of surviving in society through free will offerings was the communion of Christ. That is the Eucharist of Christ. People were thankful for the opportunity of giving. That is the Eucharist. That's what Eucharist means, thanksgiving, of Christ. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about a crumb of bread and some wine that the priest gets to drink or grape juice. He's talking about how you sustain your daily ministration of free bread for the truly needy of society in a way that strengthens them. That's what Christianity was about. And because Christians had their own system, they were persecuted. First by the jealous and envious, but then also by the bankrupt systems that wanted to force the Christians into a position of contributing to their system. But their system was forbidden by Christ. And it's right there in the text. He says, you're not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. In other words, force the offerings. He tells you that right in the gospel, in Matthew, in Mark, in Luke. He tells you, you're not to be that way. 
But every single Christian church, almost every single Christian church I see out there, a church claiming to be Christian out there today, take care of 80 to 90% of their welfare through men who exercise authority. Completely contrary to the teachings of Christ. Yet they say they're Christians. But part of that is they don't know. Their preachers aren't telling them. Their pastors have become brutes and because uh, they're real pastors, they're working down at the Social Security Administration, the welfare office. That's that's the ones who actually feed the sheep. That's the ones who actually take care of the needy of your society. And right now we have this war going on in the political realms of the world, not just the United States, but we see it certainly in the United States. This war between the idea of socialism, taking care of the needy, like I said this morning, AOC and Buttigieg, uh, we're talking about we're supposed to feed the poor. We're supposed to help the poor and the sick. That, that is a command from Christ. But we're supposed to do it. What they're leaving out, what they're omitting from their statement, is that we're supposed to do it by charity, not by men in government who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. Because Christ forbid us to do it that way. That would be coveting your neighbor's goods. This seems like such a simple explanation. I talk about this all the time and in many different ways. And so, where does the church come in if they're not just supposed to be conducting a choir? We have in one of our books on uh, Thy Kingdom Come, I talk about what the word choir originally meant. It wasn't just a bunch of singers. I mean, you actually look in the Old Testament, they talk about singers in the Old Testament. With the Levites, there were singers. Was these these actually people singing, or is this one of those misinterpretations? And again, like I said, said this many times, the Essenes read this same exact Torah that the Pharisees were reading, and they got a completely different interpretation of the altars of sacrifice, and they operated their society much much different than the Pharisees did. And, of course, now all the scenes weren't the same. And, like I say, they didn't even call themselves the scenes. But understanding that is a key part of understanding the gospel of the kingdom. So, anyway, I, I wrote an article a uh, long time ago. And I've added uh, a, a section to the page that contains this article. And it has to do with the church illegally defined. And uh, that article, you can find that at Preparing You. You can look up Church Legally Defined. And uh, you can read that article. And it's uh, it's not really long. And it, to, because it's in a number of different pieces, the first part is the word church. And then the, another section is legally defined. And then underneath that is related definitions. And I go through some of the codes and show how different states have defined the church and talk about the church and stuff like that over the years. And, of course, now when people talk about the church, a lot of people go, like, I don't have anything to do with religion. You know, well, if you get your social welfare, if if the government is taking care of your parents on Social Security, if uh, you collect or your parents collect or anybody in your family collect Medicare, or Medicaid. That's religion. That's what religion was. That was the free bread of Rome was a part of the religion of Rome, what they called the Roman imperial cult. Once you got to be a member, you had to pay in, 
And, you know, of course, if you were really poor, you didn't have to pay in hardly anything. Or if anything, maybe you paid in nothing. But once you were a member, you had to pay in. You were on the rolls. But you were also eligible for the free bread of Rome, which was handed out next to the temple. They had a little building next to the temple where you'd go get your free bread. And you knew who was entitled to that free bread because they gave you a little clay tessera, which would be the equivalent today. We'd call it an EBT card. And it's how you get your benefits of being a part of that temple system. Because all those temples were government buildings. They did different things in different temples. Temple of Mineta coin money. We would call that the treasury department now, or at least the, the place that we don't coin money really anymore. Mostly we mint it, uh, our mint, momenta, that's where you get the word mint, mint. We print money. But it's, it's a temple. It's, it's where you go. That's what they were doing in the temple of Mineta. They were making currency of the day in the form of coins. And they, they altered that after a while under Nero. They began to take the silver out of the coin. Actually, they started under Mark Anthony. He took some of the silver, just a small amount of the silver out of the Roman silver coin. But uh, Nero took quite a bit out. And then, of course, by Diocletian, there was no more silver in the Romans denarii. It was just iron coin like you have today. And it was worth nothing. <laughs> like, a, you know, a silver dollar is worth $15. But a, a paper dollar's worth, what, one-fifteenth of a <laughs> real dollar. And the value is all screwed up. And that's just where it is. What I'm interested in is the virtuous elements of your culture that will bring you back to the prosperity that once was America, once was Christianity. Because Christians prospered during the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. And since most of the governments of the world today are following in the footsteps footsteps of the Roman Empire, they have their free bread, their welfare systems, uh, their, their guaranteed incomes, they want to have that, and guaranteed housing, and all these things. And they are provided by men who exercise authority one over the other. That's the way Rome was going at the time of Jesus Christ. It had started going that way about, well, almost 150 years before, uh, Christ was even born. We hear Polybius talking about it, but it really didn't get going until Julius Caesar, who wasn't, never really became emperor, but under the other Caesars, certainly under Augustus Caesar, it got uh, much more that way. Nero was that way, but of course by the time of Nero, they were already bankrupt. Tiberius had brought in things like the Patriot Act, you know, and made uh, uh, suspicion a crime. Uh, intimidating a government employee, a crime, all these things. This is the road that they were going down. It's the road most countries are going down. You know, free, you can be arrested for free speech in many countries today. They want to make it so you can get arrested in the United States. We're kind of the last holdout of things like free speech and the right to bear arms and things like that. But they want to do away with that everywhere. And if they can't do away with with that, they want to cripple America because America is kind of getting in the way of the self-destructive spirit that is becoming pervasive in society. You know, somebody is showing me videos of people in China who get the coronavirus, which isn't that dangerous of a virus. I don't want everybody to panic. Uh, it really kills far less than the SARS or anything like that. It's actually probably no more lethal than 
your average flu virus. It's a little bit more contagious, it appears, but it's not very lethal. It's like 0.5 to 2% lethal. And the only one who's died in the United States already had compromised health conditions, and he was in his 50s. So... Uh, but anyway, the point is is that the, there were people in the elevators in China, they actually have them on film, spitting. They know they have the virus and they're spitting on all the buttons and rubbing their saliva on the buttons on purpose because they want to contaminate somebody else. We saw this during the height of the uh, and the scare of the other uh, things like AIDS. There were actually people who knew they had AIDS and were going out trying to contaminate other people. Now, everybody that had AIDS didn't do this, but that's a self-destructive spirit you find. It's the same spirit you find when somebody wants to kill themselves, and so they go out and they they start shooting other people, you know, and want suicide by cop. And if they actually get cornered just for a minute, they shoot themselves. That They have been possessed by a self-destructive spirit and they want to destroy other people when they go out. They get sick. You know, misery loves company. That's the same spirit. They get sick. They want to get other people sick. Now, a lot of you will say, well, that's crazy. Well, it is crazy, but it is real. That spirit is around and alive. The same spirit is in your politics. And what I was saying this morning mostly is that President Trump is not your salvation. He's certainly stirring them up. He's certainly changing the status quo on a lot of cases. But he's only got four more years, if that, if something doesn't happen to him. He's always a president is a heartbeat away from the next president. And you have no idea what's going on. The minds of your youth have been consumed by this false history and now by the 1619 Project. You just have to listen to the first show to find out more about that. But... You're already subject to the the what the Reese Commission uncovered because uh, you don't know history. You study the Bible, but if you think that God wanted Israelites to pile up rocks, kill sheep, and set them on fire, you do not understand the Old Testament. If you think stoning a woman for promiscuity had to do with putting her in a hole or putting her up against a wall and throwing rocks at her until she was dead, you do not understand the Old Testament. Those are parts of the misinterpretations of the Old Testament that have become pervasive amongst many of the Jews at the time of Christ and is still pervasive amongst many of the Christians and Jews today. That is not what God wanted people to do. That is not what the altars of stone and the altars of clay was about. It was about a welfare system that operated by free will offerings and bound society together in a fellowship, a communion of charity where people began to take care of one another through personal sacrifice, through a network of ministers who were bound under certain conditions in order to facilitate a society. Now, if we were all saints, we wouldn't need these ministers. We would all just take care of one another. But we're not all saints. So God gave us a structure in the Levites, and Christ gave us a structure in the church by which we, making our personal choices of personal sacrifice and personal responsibility, 
can make choices that will strengthen our community if it becomes a part of our culture, our religious culture, our political culture, our ideological culture, to take care of one another through charity rather than forced contributions. AOC, Judge, Bernie, uh, they all want to do it through forced contributions. Trump is not completely against that either. I mean, you, you're not completely against that. You've already got Social Security. That's forced contributions. Social Security is socialism. Public school is socialism. Medicare, Medicaid is socialism. You could actually do provide all the services of Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security through faith, hope, and charity, and your community would be stronger for it. And you could do it more efficiently than is now going on today in society. But you have to learn how to do that. And you learn how to do that by doing what Christ commanded us to do, which was to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start loving our neighbor as ourselves. In a vast network, somebody once was arguing about things that we had written. He was, and we have a whole page on the guy, and there's a, a couple of them like that. He says that there's nothing in the Bible about a network. Tens, hundreds, and thousands is a network. That's the way Israel was organized. That's the way Nimrod organized. Except for he organized the tens, hundreds, and thousands from the top down. Which is what they explain in Samuel 8 is they're going to do. They're going to, he's going to appoint his officers over their officers, over their offices, and you're at the bottom. But, you're not supposed to do it that way. You're supposed to do it from the bottom up. You organize. You pick your minister. He picks his minister. And you organize from the bottom up. That's grassroots. But you have to implement that and make that network valuable because it starts providing for the needy of society. Now, right now, everybody's dependent upon the government that exercises authority one over the other, contrary to what Christ said. So the process of seeking the kingdom is to reverse that process and start looking the other way. Start seeing if we can't implement that Social welfare through charity, which what is what made America great. It wasn't the Constitution. It, it wasn't the presidents of the United States. It was the people taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. And that's what the church, the called out, are supposed to be implementing. And so, anyway, I have these this page, church legally defined, and we legally, we we just simply include the legal definition of the church, which is, in its most general sense, is the religious society founded and established by Jesus Christ. Now, founded and established by me is founded and established by Christ. No one has to conform to what I think, but we all should be trying to conform to what Christ thinks. And we just talk about what Christ said, and therefore what the apostles said he said, and what the apostles said he was thinking, and we show you the history, and you should be able to figure it out from there. And then we, like Christ commanded, we are trying to help you organize yourselves in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. But you have to do it. We can't do it from the top down like like uh, Caesars and Nimrods and Pharaohs. You have to do it from the bottom up. That's your responsibility. And with 
taking on that responsibility, eventually it will regenerate you. You'll be reborn in another way of thinking. But you have to attend to the way to your manage yourself. So the church was established by Jesus Christ to do what? To receive, preserve, and propagate his doctrines and ordinances. Well, one of his ordinances is that you're not supposed to covet your neighbor's goods and that you're not supposed to be like the governments of the Gentiles who exercise authority one over the other. And one of his ordinances is you're to love your neighbor as yourself and to, you should be laying down your life for your fellow man. And which may mean a little bit of sacrifice. And if you're very rich, you should be giving a lot more. And if you're very poor, you should still be giving like the widow did and gave her might because she gave, that was counted as more. But she was not abandoned. She was taken care of by the social welfare set up by Christ in his, through his called out who were able to take care of that widow. She may have given the only might that she had, but she did not go hungry that night because Christ had already called out his ministers and was already commanded that the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And so there was somebody available to help take care of this woman. So what else is the church defined as? A body or community of Christians. Christians would be people following what Christ said. They're doing what Christ said. They're not just doing what some pastor said, some pope said, some priest said. They're doing what Christ said. And so that would probably look a lot like the early church, which was taking care of all the social welfare of Christians rather than sending Christians to the free bread of Rome. They weren't sending them to the free bread of Rome. That was that was stuff offered to idols and they weren't to eat of that. They were taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity, not force, fear, and fealty, which is the way the rest of the world did it. So anyway, they're Christians united under one form of government by the profession of one faith, which is one allegiance, allegiance to Christ. There is another king, one Jesus, and the observance of the same rituals and ceremonies. What are those rituals and ceremonies? Taking care of the needy of society in a way that strengthens them. And they do this by free will offerings to a minister of their choice who then turns around and helps those needy of society in the best way he knows how. And if he doesn't do a good job, you don't have to get to him next week. You find somebody who will do a better job and you give to him. And therefore, you, every day is voting day in, in this form of government. You can impeach your pastor anytime you want because you're the one who picked him. If you don't think he's doing a good job, find another one. If you think his job is to tickle your ears, you're probably not going to find that pastor amongst us because we're not in the ear-tickling business. We're in the Christianity business, the real Christianity, not the fake Christianity that makes you feel good, the, the Christianity that requires that you conform to Christ. And if you're not conforming to Christ, and like I said this morning, Paul gives long lists of people who are not conforming to Christ, and he says, don't have anything to do with them because they don't have any inheritance in the kingdom. But wait a minute. They said they accepted Jesus as their personal Savior. Yeah, but the, the fruit of that acceptance is not evidence in what they do. And James tells you, Paul even tells you, that you judge them by what they're doing. If they're not doing what Christ said, they're not following Christ. If they're not following Christ, they're not Christians. Now, they can change any time and we can accept them into the fold. 
But if you're not hearing what Christ said, and he said you're not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who exercise authority one over the other and call themselves benefactors. If you're going to the governments of the world for your benefits, your free education, you know, your free student loans, your whatever it is, you're going to them for that, you're not a Christian. You're not following what Christ said. You say, Lord, Lord, but you're not doing what he said. So you're not a Christian. Now, I understand that includes most people who say that they're Christians. But that saying you're a Christian don't make it so. You have to be that Christian. So I have a section in there on related definitions. Oh, I have a flaw in my programming. But um, I I did some extra work on that page. (laughs) And I evidently made a mistake. And we should take a break anyway, so I'm going to go to a commercial break. If I can find where the commercial break is, I think this is it. And we'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom in a moment. Okay, well, welcome back. I think I found my code violation here. (laughs) That's the thing when you're coding a given page. Uh, if not, I'll have it fixed shortly by the time a lot of people hear this particular recording. So anyway, again, this is on the page where it talks about uh, the church legally defined. And uh, one of the last sections is the church defined in the world. And so one of the things that I've been writing is the Free Church Report. And I also have the Minister's Manual. I added uh, numerous pages to that in the last few weeks. And that's available to the people who actually want to seek to be a minister of Christ and do the things the way the early church did it, which is really insignificant if you're if you're not going to take on the virtue of Christ, the the value, the culture of Christ, and what Christ was telling us to do, and the way in which Christ was telling us to do. We should take care of the needy. We should feed the poor. Uh, we should make sure that people don't starve to death in the streets. But we have to do it in a way that strengthens them. And we have to do it by charity, not by force. We don't want to give somebody the power of Stalin or the power of Mao to force the contributions of the people to take care of the needy of society. Because they will become drunk with that power and you will have a despot on your hands and you will have tyranny and probably death and destruction. Because that's giving that power to somebody is beckoning that spirit of destruction. You know, they do bite the hand that feeds them, so to speak. This is going to be their nature. But the church defined by the world, I go through that same definition, which is out of Black's dictionary. And uh, I, I go through that because it actually is fairly close to what Christ was saying. I mean, it clearly states there that Jesus Christ established the church. That's what a church is. It's established, has to be established by Jesus Christ. Now they've extended that definition. That definition was the definition in Black's Law Dictionary, Black's Third, Fourth, Fifth, Sixth, Seventh, Eighth, Ninth. But now they started adding other things, and now you can have the church established by Satan. But that's not really the church. But at one time in America, and for for over a century or more, that was the definition. It had to be established by Jesus Christ. And it was a body and a community that was united under one form of government. That's still consistent in that definition. The form of government we talked about, and if you are on that page, there's live links to another article on one form of government. What does that mean? 
But that form of government is a voluntary government where people get together in a network to attend to what Christ called the weightier matters, law, judgment, mercy, and faith. And they also have certain of the virtuous characteristics of Christ. Now, many of the people who go to church, they see the virtuous characteristics of Christ and they say, yeah, I want, I believe in that. And it has an effect in their life. The way they treat other people, the way they, they're about forgiveness and they're about kindness and they're about charity. I mean, you'll find amongst Christian conservatives some of the most charitable people in the world. And these are all good characteristics. I'm just talking about the whole truth. The thing that they've left out. The thing that they, they, people have dropped off of the gospel of the kingdom. Which is right there in the text. But they're ignoring. And that, that's why you've gone from, you know, 150 years ago. If you had any of the welfare needs that people have today, they would have gone to church. Unwed mothers go to church. You know, people who get sick go to church. People who get injured go to church. People lose their job, they go to church. People who, you know, lose their husband, they go to church. People lose their wife, they go to church. The church was the one who was going to help them out. The church community was going to help them out. No, of course they go to the family first, but that's why they talk about widows and orphans. Families break down, they die, they, you know, go crazy, they get injured, they, and so families need help. So how do you do that in society and still maintain a free society? You have to do it through charity. Well, the governments of the world are not charity, but the government of Christ operates solely by charity, by free will contributions, by regular contributions to men who are actually doing the work of government. But as a free government, they have to do it through charity. This is this is the way God's government operates. And so you're not going to find ministers living like millionaires, although you could find ministers that handle millions of dollars. Barnabas owned property in Cyprus. Uh, he was known as Hoses. He was a Levite. You know, Levites couldn't own property in their own name. They couldn't sell their own property. But he was able to do that because of changes historically in Jerusalem and in Israel and Judea over a hundred years before. Uh, rules that actually some of the uh, Roman emperors, or not emperors, they weren't emperors at that time, tried to roll back under Pompey and Pompey's general. But the, they got it passed that Levites got to own property and the Levites became wealthier and wealthier and some of the high priests were living in more opulence than even Herod himself. Because they were breaking some of the rules that Moses had laid down because of the way they could misinterpret the Old Testament. And the same thing has gone on in the modern church today, which is why you have multi-millionaire pastors who are millionaires. Uh, you know, not all pastors are that way, but there are ministers who are millionaires. And yet, the, if you have a need, it's kind of like Bernie. Bernie's a multi-millionaire. Although they, he's hid a lot of the money so you don't see it, but it's there. Multi-million dollar properties he owns, etc. And I can show you where a lot of it is hidden. It's not that hard to find, but your modern media isn't going to point it out. <laughs> but anyway, but if you have a need, he's not going to provide that out of his pocket like Christ did. He's going to provide it out of your neighbor's pocket, which is why socialism, as Margaret Thatcher once said, 
socialism, the problem with socialism is eventually you run out of other people's money. And this has to do with the early church had to take care of the needy. So you had people like Peter saying, silver and gold have I none. Because he wasn't living, he wasn't amassing fortunes under his name. Millions of dollars were probably coming into to his, you know, his network. Of course, the, the way the system is set up, it doesn't go up to the Pope and then filter down to all the other people. Most of the money and, and funds and supplies are distributed amongst the needy of society down where the needy of society live. It's not going, it's not a trickle down type government. That's not the way it works. But you had Hoses, who was fairly well to do, sold all this property as a Levite and came and laid the money at the foot of the apostles. So that's at the foot of Peter. So now Peter's got all this money, supposedly. But but Peter says, silver and gold have I none. So he didn't keep it for himself. He turned around and took care of the needy of society with those funds. Well, who did he hire to make sure that that money got distributed where it needed? Because there were famines. And we see that Paul and who? Barnabas taking funds to far ends of the empire to take care of Christians because Christians aren't going to go to the Roman welfare state. They're going to go to church. And so, who does he pick to go with Paul to distribute these funds, make sure they get to where they need to go? He picked Barnabas, who was Hoses, and took this name of Barnabas. Why? Because he knew that he was not in this for the money. He, he turned over all the money. That he had made because that was one of the commandments of Christ for his ministers. Which we talk about later in the book. But this one form of government that Christ is expressing is an actual network, a body, a community of people taking care of all the social welfare in a daily ministration based on charity instead of force. If you aren't going in that direction in your church, then your church is not seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If your church is still depending and is comfortable with depending upon men who exercise authority for their welfare, then you haven't really repented. You haven't really turned around your thinking like Christ. You're not thinking like Christ. This is why we pointed out that Christ was like, actually from an extremely wealthy, rich family. And that he had decided to make himself poor. He was the rightful heir to the throne of Judea, which would be the throne of Israel. But he uh, could have remained fairly wealthy. His uncle was one of the wealthiest men in the Roman Empire. Uh, He had other relatives that were extremely wealthy. And uh, he gave all that up so that he could also become high priest, like John the Baptist, who was the high priest, the literal high priest, the rightful high priest of Judea. And we go through and explain how that is the case. Now, some people, someone the other day said was read one of our articles, I can't even remember which one it was, but he, he was saying... So, is this a scholarly article? <laughs> I don't know. And the, one of the people in our network pointed out and said, well, the Pharisees were scholars, 
Jesus didn't go and enlist men amongst the scholars. He enlisted them amongst the fishermen <laughs> and more common people. Not to say that Peter wasn't smart. He certainly was. Uh, but he wouldn't be classified as a scholar. And, of course, the same we could say of David. He was a shepherd, the youngest of the boys, kind of a runt of the litter. But he was the one they chose to be king because, you know, it's out of the humble that that Christ is going to pick his leaders. So, I'm not a leader of the people. I can barely find my own way <laughs> in life. But I'm sharing with you for free. All our books are available for free online. And... Uh, all the all the footnotes on, on this one page alone, I think there's uh, you know there's nine footnotes that take you on and links. There's dozens of links to other articles, but the church is a form of government that operates by faith, hope, and charity. It does not operate by forcing your allegiance or by fealty or by force in your contributions. It operates the other way. The form of government that is the church leads you to freedom and a free society and a strong and healthy society that can survive the decline and fall of the Roman Empire and actually thrive during that process. But the form of government that most people are looking to that operates by force, they are gonna, they're gonna try to elect a guy who's going to be their salvation. But it will backfire. Eventually, it will backfire because nobody lives forever. You know, David made lots of mistakes. Saul certainly made lots of mistakes, but he destroyed himself by falling on his own sword. That's that self-destructive spirit. First, he he got thousands of Israelites killed, and then he killed himself. David did pretty good most of his career, but he screwed up a number of times. But he was a man after God's own heart because he repented. So this this goes for you guys now too. If you're really listening to what I'm saying, you're realizing that the modern church is not doing the right thing. It is not preaching the whole gospel of the kingdom, the whole gospel of Jesus Christ. It's leaving out some important aspects of the thanksgiving of Christ, of the daily ministration of the church. Of the not living through covetous practices, which the Bible in the New Testament tells you will make you merchandise. And will curse your children. And make you surety for debt. And make your children surety for debt. All of which has already taken place. But all you have to do is repent. Think like Christ said to think. Take on the culture of Christ. Gather together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start attending to the daily ministration and the weightier matters of law, judgment, and mercy, and faith as Christ commanded us to do. That's not a big thing. It is a big thing, but I'm not not putting heavy burdens. It is a burden, but in the long run, that burden is light. That's what he tells you. That burden is light, but you have to do it. We create an a, a electronic system where you can start to find other people as close to you geographically as possible. And the idea is that as more and more people join into the network, we'll find more and more people that are closer and closer to you. And then you can form these congregations. Will they all think like you? No. Do all your children think like you? 
do, do all your friends think like you? No. But there are certain common cultural parameters, Christ's cultural parameters of virtue that you'll want to quote, cultivate in your gatherings. And, and, but all your gatherings are, they call them free assemblies because they're not corporate. All your contributions, you let go of them entirely and somebody else is responsible for them. If they don't do a good job with them, they're not supposed to accumulate huge reservoirs of gold and silver and golden temples and all that kind of stuff. They are to create a flow of righteous charity. That's charity that strengthens the poor. In a network, an intimate network that spreads over all nations. That's what the church is supposed to be. That's what we should be working towards. That's what we should be striving towards. And that's what we're telling you about on these pages I evidently did fix that error. <laughs> it's just one little error. But anyway, um, because it's showing up correctly now. But anyway, go to preparingyou.com. Go to hisholychurch.org. Join the network in, in these different places and uh, that are close to you geographically. And uh, start forming that network from the ground up. And... Yeah, you're going to have different ideas than some of the other people. And different, if you look at the early church and some of the writings of the early church, they were all over the board on a lot of things. Why? Because Christ didn't explain everything in detail. He gave you the details of what you needed to do. And this is what amazes me, that only only one time did he command men to do a certain thing. He commanded the weather to cease, and he commanded the devil to leave, and he he commanded the unholy spirits to go into pigs, and he but he only commanded people one time, and that's when he commanded his disciples to make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, and he did this before there were any loaves and fishes. They had to organize themselves in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And that, of course, is what they did on Pentecost. That's what they always had done on Pentecost is because that was one of those gatherings where everybody came together and they made sure that they were well organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And because that was going to be necessary to operate a free government. You can't just go everybody around and, well, I helped somebody that I came across today. People will die and starve to death. <laughs> and, you know, like uh, just talking about a friend of ours who was, she's exceptional in the way that she finds people and helps people. And I could tell you story after story, but I don't have enough time. But she had people that had no friends but her. And she had known them from years before in business, and but she still stayed in touch and that person died in their backyard, and none of the neighbors knew. None of the neighbors cared. None, none of the neighbors came to her aid. She just fell down, died in her backyard. But this other woman, who lived miles and miles away, was the one that this lady had written down over and over again that this is the one to go to if something happens to me. 
the reality is that we need to incorporate that caring about one another in our local cultures, in our local communities. And this is what the church should be doing. Instead, it's fractionalizing people in 40,000 different denominations because they have changed religion from how you take care of the needy of society to what you think about God. And this guy over here thinks this about God and this guy over here thinks this about God and this this group, this Baptist group thinks this and this Methodist group thinks that. But that's not what Christ came to do to divide the people with denominations. There is only one denominator in Christ's church and that is Christ. And so let's look at what Christ said to do and try that for a change. But until then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.